Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Bible study. And we are in Genesis 30 and 31 today. And there's many verses. I'm not going to read them all. But last week, we left with Leah having having um, these children because she thought this will be what, what will get my husband to love me. And then she has the she has this fourth child, Judah, and it's like she resolved, like, I am so blessed to have this precious baby boy. I am going to praise the Lord for him. And it was, it was so good. I thought, that's right. That's right, Leah. Good for you. So now we move into this chapter. And Oh, all I can say is this is my Bible. <laughs> I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. And why do we need it so? Not just to hear God's promises and to know and learn who he is, but we got to learn how, how self looks like when we are discontented. Discontentment is is just, oh, what you try to do when you're discontented. This is full-blown self. And Rachel saw she was not having and bearing children for Jacob, and she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Look at her mood right away. I mean, she is, she is so upset, and this is what discontentment will do. And, and jealousy and rivalry and resentment, all words that just rile you up, and then out from your mouth comes words like, give me children or I'll die. I mean, you blame, and Jacob then becomes angry with her and says, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? I am not in charge of your womb. I do what I can to do my part, but then it's God who does it. You cannot blame me for that. And then and then she probably admits, it's, you know, in her mind, she probably thinks, well, that is true. But, but then she then connives. Here's Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me that through her, I too can build a family. See, that was culturally correct. I mean, they could do that. That was permissible in culture, not according to God. Rachel didn't pray to God about this. God would never tell her to handle it in this way. So this is totally her, her concoction. See, if a maidservant had a child through your husband, then that would be really classified as your child. So she's thinking, you know, kind of like Sarah did. Well... She says, here's Bilhah, my maidservant, sleep with her. Now, just like, just like with Abraham and Sarah, I am sure Sarah really didn't want Abraham to say, okay. I mean, look what that brought on. And now we're in the same boat here, too. I mean, here we have Bilhah now and Jacob agreeing instead of 
of saying, oh, no, no, Rachel. I mean, it's bad enough he's got two wives. Anyway, well, now with Bilhah, and he sleeps with her, and sure enough, she became pregnant and bore him a son. And then Rachel says, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Now God's name is mentioned because now um, it turned out for Rachel. Or she thinks, oh, this, this whole thing was fine. This was, God approved totally this arrangement. So because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. You can almost hear revenge, can't you? There, I got back at her. So she named him Naphtali. Well, you know what's going to happen. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, and she took her maidservant now, what is this? Competing with babies? And manservants, maidservants, I mean. She took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her Jacob, gave her to Jacob as a wife. So now, now Jacob is sitting with four wives. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, What good fortune. She named him Gad. I am shaking my head. Aren't you, weren't you when you were reading this? I was just shaking my head. And they're totally fine. They're totally fine with this. At least, you know, well, it's working. At least our maidservants are able to conceive. And, and the thing that just got me was Jacob was going along with the whole thing. Why didn't he stop this craziness? Now, verse 12, Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields. Remember, Reuben was Leah's first son and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah, now, mandrakes, it's a root, and, and in the Hebrew, it's called the love apple. In fact, they believed it helped with fertility. So here comes Reuben, and he's going to help his mama, and then Rachel says to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And then Leah said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes, too? Oh, these two girls, they probably couldn't hardly stand each other. See what happens with discontent and rivalry and keeping God out. Look at this relationship. This, these two sisters, look at them. Then Rachel, okay, okay. Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Okay, I can see you're upset. All right, very well, Rachel said. 
He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Oh, now you're using and Jacob and you're burning with him. I wrote in my Bible, this is sick. It really is. I just, if he didn't know it was God's word and every word is true. And so you'd think that this is like a soap opera. But it's true. But God is trying to teach them, but he's trying to teach us too. This is what happens. This is what it looks like when you're discontented. When you are not willing to, to look at the blessings God has given you and you just want more, want more, want more, and self just takes over. I mean, do you really believe that God supplies your needs and he knows what you need? And he knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything. He knows. So verse 16, when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me. <laughs> Can you believe it? She says, I've hired you with my son's mandrake, so he slept with her that night. I mean, what is with this guy? He just does what these women are telling him to do with some kind of breeding machine or something. I mean, what a mess. Verse 17, God listened to Leah in verse 22, too, I mean, after all what these two girls are doing, and you hear God remember Rachel, he listened to her. Now, what do you think these two women, when they go to bed at night, what they're, oh, and they're saying their prayers. I, I can picture this. They're saying their prayers, and, and their prayers probably go like, God, I want a baby. I want the love of my husband. I want, I want, I want. Do it, do it, do it. You know, when you're so caught in yourself, then you call out to God and you, what are you saying? You're not saying, but your will be done. No, only when you're walking with the Lord are you willing to say your will be done because you truly believe God's will is better than your own. Right now, they are just telling God what they want. But God, is, he's got a plan in motion, and he's using broken people because that's all he's got. And he is, he is intending for these, these ex examples and these lessons to reach into our hearts and learn from them. I mean, he loved them, and he wanted them to, to seek his will. Oh, if it wasn't for God being so patient with us, with them as well. He listened to Leah, and she became pregnant, or Jacob, a fifth son. And then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. What? God's rewarded her with a fifth son because she was willing to give her maidservant to Jacob. Ah, God doesn't work that way. That sounded good. She's trying to convince herself that she did the right thing. But that's not the way God operates. 
So she named him Iskar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. That's true. This time, my husband will treat me with honor. Oh, who again does go back to? At first, you think, oh, that's good, Leah. God has presented you with a precious gift. That child is a gift from God. And then she comes back with, this time a husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons, and she named him Zebulun. See, selfishness. Selfishness, that's all it is here. Competitiveness discontent, rivalry, but really down deep in sheer selfishness. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. See who is in charge of wombs. She became pregnant and gave birth to his son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Can't she even be thankful for two and a half minutes before she's wanting more? I mean, she has waited and longed for a child of her own, and she has a baby boy named Joseph. And right away after she named him, she said, make the Lord add to me another son. Discontent. It also prevents you and I to see the blessing that we have right in front of us. Rachel gave birth to Joseph. Jacob said to Laban, you know, he's saying, okay, now it's time to go back. Send me on my way so I could go back to my own homeland. You know, he's been working for Laban a long time. I mean, and, and look, though, he's had his wives there, his children there, and yet it hasn't become home. So he must go back to where God promised. And he said, verse 26, give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much I've done for you. You know how much I've worked. You know what I've done for you. Now it's time to let me. Let me go. But Laban said, see, Laban knows, ooh, this guy has really helped me to, to um, gain possessions. So look what he says. I always knew that there was something wrong with this character. And this sentence really showed me. It says, if you, Laban says, if I have found favor in your eyes, please Day, I've learned by divination. <laughs> he uses the occult. He, he wanted answers, so he goes for spiritual counsel to anyone but the Lord. That's what divination is. 
I mean, maybe a Ouija board, I don't know, but in divination, whenever you're working with the occult, or a fortune teller, maybe. Not right, but he says, I've learned that the Lord, I'm thinking, how ironic, isn't it, that you include divination and then say the Lord. I mean, maybe it was the fortune teller that said, oh, Laban, Laban, you um, have been blessed by the Lord because of Jacob. <laughs> I don't know who told him, but anyways, it said by divination. And so he added, name your wages and I will pay. I will pay whatever you ask. So he knows, Laban knows, I can't lose Jacob. He is too good for me. He is doing so many good things for me. Jacob said to him, okay, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. You know, that's kind of bragging, but it's a, it was a fact. But now, when may I do something for my own household? Now, I did what I did for you before. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. So uh, he's, in, you know, he's saying that, but now it's time. Now it's time to do something for my household. Laban asked, well, what shall I give you? And Jacob says, no, I don't want anything. Don't give me anything. But if you, do, if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. So he's saying, no, I really don't want anything. I don't want you to give me anything. But if you want me to stay, uh, I have got a, I've got a little plan here. I'll go on tending your flocks. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. So check any time. I am honest with you. This is, this is the way I want it set up. If this, and Laban agreed. Look at verse 24. He agreed. Let it be as you said. See, Laban liked this deal. One, could keep their flocks separate. And two, I think the way Laban calculated this, he thought he got the better end of the deal. By odds, he thought he was the one that was going to win out. So then, you know, I, I won't read off that, but Jacob, you know, he, in, in chapter 31, he does admit that God came to me in a dream at this time and said, Jacob, this is how I want you to do it. So Jacob knows that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. I mean, you know, there isn't any one of us that really can take any credit for who we are, what we've done. 
I, my phrase is, the Lord just borrows my body. I mean, it, it is truly wonderful to be surprised sometime when I hear something coming out of my mouth or when, when, I, when I hear of a result of some study or something, I think, you know, it, it surely wasn't me, but it is such an honor to be a servant of Lord Jesus, to be able to watch him use us, but we can't take credit Without him, oh, isn't that true? Without him, I am nothing. But with him, we can do immeasurably more than what we can ever imagine. But it's all to God's glory and God's honor. So Jacob has the ability, God gave him this gift to, to take these speckled and spotted and 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 um, flocks, and he just increased it. Look at verse 43. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and man-made servants and men servants and camels and donkeys. He was thriving. Now, <laughs> that didn't settle right. That's why we move right into chapter 31. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were talking behind his back. And they were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. So now the word I have, first in chapter 40, it was discontent. But you know what? There's something that I loved about that chapter, and even the word discontent was, I thought, what's the opposite of discontent? And I'm reminded of this great chapter in Philippians 4 where Paul told me the secret of contentment because opposite of discontent is contentment. And how in Philippians 4, Paul is very clear about the secret. I've learned the secret of, of contentment. Whether, he says, whether it's, it's in plenty or in a little, whether it's um, in hard times or in good times, I've learned the secret of contentment, and that is to believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a simple but wise answer. Disconnect is when self just wants rivalry and, and competition, and I want more. It's, it's all selfish. And Paul, who had been through so much, said, I learned through it all. And that's what we need to do from these lessons here. I've learned the secret of contentment, because doesn't this, the word contentment sound so much better than disconnect? content. 
when Paul says, I have learned it. I've learned it along the way that, that whatever I need, he will supply. He promised that. And my God will supply all that I need according to his riches and glory. And the secret of my contentment is that I can do all things, but it all comes down through Christ who will give me the strength, give me the ability, give me what it takes. Even Proverbs 19, 23 says, Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, and that will lead to contentment when you fear God and know he's sovereign and almighty and has a plan for you and he loves you. Fear of that Lord will cause you to be content. Finding joy in what God has given you. And, and here, in another human, in this, in this next chapter, another human word, but another reaction. So now, you know, um, Laban's sons are spreading this rumor that uh, Jacob kind of pretty much stole everything, and, and he is who he is because of, of what Laban has given him, and And Laban even is buying into that. So he has, his whole attitude has changed toward Jacob. And it's so obvious. And he becomes so envious of Jacob's wealth. I mean, I think, his, I, think I mean, he really wasn't. He's not a, a man walking with God anyway. But you talk about poison. Envy is like a poison, and it is sin. It just plain is sin, whether you want to agree or not. You, just, you, just, you think, oh, envy is not that big a deal. It is. In fact, listen to this verse in James 3, 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Did you hear that? For where envy and selfishness, self-seeking exists, where those things exist, watch what happens. Confusion and every evil thing are there. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Real love does not envy. God wants to deliver you and me from envy. You know what really grabbed me this week about that word is in Matthew 27, 18. Envy is, is such a huge thing that it was envy that put Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27, 18, for he knew it was out of envy that they handed him over to Pilate. That was Jesus' words, Matthew 27, 18, Matthew 27, 18. He knew, Jesus knew it was out of 
envy that they handed him to Pilate. So, it's a poison. It's a poison that reaps terrible benefits. So, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Underline that. This, this is, is Jacob's, it should have been his most prized words and reassuring words and power-filled words that he can step out and he can go knowing that God is with him every step of the way. But I say those words to you and to me too. That they are powerful words to help us put the next foot in front of the other when we in we get stifled and we get stuck and we don't we just can't push ourselves forward and we're in a bad place and our walk with the Lord has kind of gone out of kilter and and our heart is poisoned by envy or discontent. Or said to Jacob Go back, I'll be with you. I am with you on this journey. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were, and he said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. And then he goes on, you know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, and yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. And then he goes on and he says, I had this dream. Verses 10 and 11, I had this dream. That's how I was able to accumulate in the flocks just seemed to just blossom out. God told me what to do and how to do it. Verse 11, he reiterates, the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, here I am. Jacob said, he said, look up and see the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. You know, sometimes, you know, when we are being mistreated or treated unkindly or a word, people, you know, there's no filter nowadays, right? I mean, with Facebook, and then people just say, and they, they just out it comes, and but to me, I thought, you know what? I have to remember that line. I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Nothing escapes the Lord. He has ears, he has eyes, and he knows what we're going through. He, this, is, this is the advice he gave to Jacob, and I'm telling you, I think it's the best advice for us to I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. 
go back there. Sometimes you just need to go back to the place where it all started. For us, it's the cross. Go back to the cross and take a deep breath and realize what he did for you. And somehow you can just feel that selfishness start to fall off. That's what enables us to handle these tough experiences and this unfairness or these unkind words or go back to the cross and know what he did to help you become who you are. Well, it says 14, and Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he's used up all what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. So, hey, they were on board. Let's go. Then Jacob put his children, his wives, on camels, and he drove was livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padam Aram, and to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. So all packed. Everybody's on camels. Everybody's ready to head out. Oh, verse 19. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, oh, Rachel tiptoed into her father's tent or wherever they kept this, and she stole her father's household gods. Okay, bad move, bad move. It shows Rachel's heart is not where it should be either. She still needs those gods. She can't leave without those household gods. But then look at verse 20, moreover, that wasn't bad enough. Look at this, Jacob deceived, deceived Laban, the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So again, deceived him again. This word deceive all the time. You see it from, from, uh, from Rebecca and Jacob to then Laban and Jacob, and now Jacob to Laban, and ooh, it just keeps coming. Deceived him. If he truly believed that God was with him, that's why I said underline that. That is the key. If you believe God is with you, there is no room for fear. And so he didn't tell and he deceived and they snuck out of there. And so he fled with all he had crossing the river and he headed for the hill country of Gilead. third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Oh, I bet he was mad or Hobbs. I bet he was so mad. And I think if he got his hands on Jacob, he probably would have strangled him. But in a dream... God's beautiful protection again. God kept Laban 
in a dream at night and said, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. In other words, you be careful on how you handle him. Now they met up in verse 25 and then verse 26, Laban says to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me and you've carried off my daughters like captives in a war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. He went after his heartstring. I mean, boy, I've, when I read that, I thought, that really, you know, those were his girls. And those were his grandchildren that he probably saw every day or whatever. And, he, and so this kind of kindness and this kind of pulling out the, the heartstrings here, pulling on the heartstrings here, but then when that didn't work, I mean, he came back and said, um, you have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. I mean, now, I think he had a change of look on his face, and he said, oh, I could have I really had the, I, the power to harm you, but God came, the God of your father. See, right away, you see, well, it wasn't Laban's God. The God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you've longed to return to your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Ooh, that had to hit Jacob. What are you talking about? Jacob said, answered Laban, I was afraid. So again, fear. Look at, I was afraid, and I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. Ooh. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there's anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods, so Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two maid servants, and he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent, and now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. And then Rachel said to her father, don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I prefer the King James way of saying it myself. The manner of women is with me. <laughs> Oh, man, she used that to her favor, didn't she? Because no man wants to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So he searched but could not find the household gods. So he, he probably could get out of that tent quick enough. Oh, Jacob was angry, and he took Laban to task. What is my crime, he asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs 
to your household. Put it right here in front of your relatives and mine. Let them judge between the two of us. And then I think this was a built-up speech that Jacob had, and he was finally able to release it. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consuming in the daytime, and the cold at night, and the sleep flood from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and changed my wages, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has been my, has seen my hardship and the toil in my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have borne? Come, come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. Yeah, what are they doing? They're really agreeing to disagree. I mean, Laban knows those were his girls, and he has a claim to them and his grandchildren, but he also knows Jacob is the father and husband. So, you know, it's a no-win here. So let's just agree to disagree. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones, piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me. That is why it was called Gilead. It was also called Mizpah, which means watch out, watch. <laughs> because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. And then he goes on, if you mistreat my daughters or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. You know, Laban's still suspicious. And God is watching. It's like he threw that in there a minute just to say, you might think you're going to get away with something, but God is watching. And that was one, that was one good, the only thing good that I pretty much saw from Laban. I mean, he still, he knows Jacob, and yet he, I don't know, I don't quite trust him. And so let's just throw this in the picture. We might be apart. I might not be able to see. But those are my daughters. Those are my grandchildren. And this, 
God is watching you. Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar I've set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. Did you notice fear was capitalized? Maybe he's starting to understand that God is one to be feared, not scared of, but awed of. God, the God of his father Isaac, he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. The next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them, and then he left and returned home. It's kind of sad. It really, it really was kind of a sad story right there. I felt for Laban a bit, <laughs> but hopefully he will have learned something from all of this. But I hope you and I have learned something too from all of this. Even if it's looking at those two ugly words, discontent and what it produces, and envy and what that produces, those are not characteristics that God wants in his children. He wants us to be content in him. And he also wants to remind us that envy is a sin, and it was that very word that put Jesus on the cross. It is serious. Don't miss by being envious. Don't miss the joy that the Lord gives us because he has blessed us, and it might be right in front of our nose. Don't miss the blessings he has given us by torturing ourselves to live in that state of envy when he has done so much for you and I. If you have a problem, I have a problem. Our first stop is the cross. Heavenly Father, again, what a lesson. And just help us to really see the simple teachings that you want us to, to, to see because this is what this is what life looks like. People can be difficult. Things can be unfairly, we can be treated unfairly, and it's just life. But how are we going to handle it? Father, may we always hear you say, I am with you. And if we wonder how to handle things, you are right there. Your word is right there if our Bibles are open. 
Father, you've given us everything we need to live the way you want us to, and we don't want to miss it because there's just so many blessings and rewards that come from walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen.